Well, I also want to say good morning, Merry Christmas, and greetings in our wonderful Savior's name. I guess it's been about a year and a half ago or so that I stood in this place under different circumstances. Um, so we shared at a, our leadership conference. I would say that it was under, uh, at least I felt like I was under quite a bit more stress in that situation than, than I feel this morning. I, uh, I feel at home with you brothers and sisters and and uh, I'm glad that we can be here to worship with you this morning. I have enjoyed the, uh, the Sunday school lesson this morning and the thoughts that were shared there. And, and I, I have actually a few thoughts uh, today um, in the message that will be very parallel to some of the things that have been shared this morning. I guess I would say that the Sunday school lesson um, taken from Galatians it was it is not a what we would call one of the usual, like the Luke two lessons that we're all used to. And actually, this morning I am not going to read uh, one of the uh, main lessons either concerning the Christmas story. I I would like to reference. Uh, a passage that often is referenced during the Christmas season. Um, but I'm going to begin with, I want to read a few verses from the first chapter of St. John. So I would invite you there for a, a few verses. Um, obviously, the text verse of this passage would, would be the 14th verse, which says, And the Word was made flesh. And, and we want to look a little bit at, at that as well this morning. But I think for, um, for a scripture reading here, we'll just begin at verse 1. And I would like to read down through um, verse 14. St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And I just want to stop right here and, and ask you to, to consider what that says right there. Probably most of us, if not all of us, have been in a dark place, even if it's at night on a cloudy night and there's no lights and we're just in our bedroom, say. It's, it's relatively dark. Probably most of our rooms with the outside lights that we often have on, probably even our, the rooms in our house at night are not dark like real dark. Dark like being in the back of a cave. But most of us have been in a place that's dark enough that there is a noticeable difference when suddenly a candle is lit, a flashlight is turned on, a light switch is flipped or something, and suddenly there's light. Because 
light always, I say always with a little bit of a check here in relation to this passage we just read. But light always disperses or, or dispels darkness. And that picture of Jesus being the light and dispelling the darkness of sin or the darkness that's in our lives is very applicable as well. And yet it says here in verse 5, it says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I just leave this for you to think about a little bit. This, this could be another whole message in itself, which is really unrelated to the Christmas lesson. So, so we won't dwell on it, but think about that. And, and, and also we'll read a little bit more, a couple more verses in a little bit that, that kind of deal with the same situation concerning Christ being the light. Uh, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that men through him might believe. He, John, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Referencing who? Christ, Jesus. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, listen to what verse 10 says. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, as you have opportunity, I would like you to consider that thought about the light, Jesus Christ, shining in darkness, and yet the darkness not comprehending it. In the natural sense, where can you Turn on a light in darkness and the darkness not comprehend it. It will always comprehend it. There's a lesson there, I believe, that uh, I, I, I don't want to leave you wondering, I guess, on that, that I, I see in this story that Jesus, as the light that can, can shine into the darkness of sin in, in an unbeliever's life and dispel that, it only happens the clue is, is here in verse 12. It says, but as many as received. You know, there has to be a receiving. In, in this application or in this example of light and darkness, before the, light, before the darkness of sin can be dispelled out of our lives, can be uh, uh, dispersed by the light of Jesus Christ, we have to accept him. We have to accept him, otherwise we will remain in darkness. The Word was made flesh. As I started studying or, or thinking about having a Christmas message or lesson to share, uh, it's interesting that Jeff, in, in his opening, 
he, he mentioned, he asked the question, why? And, and, and that question I, I asked as well, um, maybe in a little different, uh, different way. But as I thought about Jesus Christ coming into the, into the world, he became, the word was made flesh, he came into the world. And I asked this question, why? Why did he do it? And that's what I want to look at a little bit this morning. And, and uh, in, my, in my study, I came across a statement. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be disrespectful toward the person who made this. And I, frankly, I went back later and tried to find online the person uh, that made this statement and I couldn't find it the next time I went back to look um, because uh, you know I wanted to credit them but in all honesty I probably am more discrediting them than crediting them and I say this carefully but I want to read you this this statement that I read that I saw and at first thought, as you hear it, you may think, well, what's wrong with that? And I would tell you that there's no, there's no lie mentioned in this statement. It's true. It's a true statement. But I saw some things that I, that I believe can be misleading. And, and so I, I want to share this with you. This is, this is something that I read. In answer to the question, why did Jesus come to earth? This is the quote. He looked down on earth and saw that people were not happy. It's not, it's not no lie. Many were sick and they just couldn't always be nice to each other. They were suffering because of sin. So leaving everything in heaven, Jesus came to earth to help us. I don't know if you would read that and just embrace it and say it's fine. It's certainly, everything stated there is true. But I guess as I have grown as I've gotten old, older and I've, I've hopefully grown up more and, and matured in, in Christ and realized more and more where I have come from and what Jesus has done for me. I want to be a little more emphatic than this author was. So two points in here before we go on. He said in here, he or she, I, I really don't know, I'm, I'm not here to, uh, it, it doesn't matter. But it says their one comment was, they were suffering because of sin. And that is true, it was because of sin. But if I in my self-righteousness refused to look at my own sinful state, I could look at that and say, yes, the world was suffering because of your sins. 
And so I would like to change that and say Jesus came to earth because they, I, we were dying in our own sins. And then he says, they say something here, so leaving everything in heaven, and I've got that underlined because I want to I jump over top of that for right now. That's a good thing that's inserted there, and I want to come back to that because it's a, it's a very uh, worthy thing to consider for a little bit as we think about Jesus coming to earth and becoming flesh. And then it says, so Jesus came to earth to help us. Brother, sister, and friend, this morning, Jesus Christ came to earth to save us. He came to save our sorry, lost, hopeless, helpless souls that Jeff read, that passage, who at one time we were, we were lost and we were without hope. Indeed, Jesus helped us. But let's, let's say it the way it is. Jesus came to earth to save us. And so he became incarnate. There's that word we hear sometimes, the incarnation. That, if I understand right, is a Latin term for in flesh or in the flesh. Jesus, the eternal God, became flesh and blood. And I think it's important, and this is one thing that was already mentioned this morning. I, it doesn't matter who said it, I don't remember. But when Jesus became flesh, he did not trade in his, his, his status or his position as God for flesh and blood. He, he, he was not replaced with flesh and blood. Jesus became man without giving up his oneness with God. Jesus was indeed and in fact man and God. He was incarnate. He was God in the flesh. So in becoming a human being, Jesus laid aside his heavenly glory to live among us. And that's where I want to go back to that one statement that was made. So leaving everything in heaven. That was no small decision that Jesus had to make. I would, I would urge you to consider what our Savior left. He left heaven. He left a place where everything was right. He left a place that was absent of anything bad. He left a place that had Everything he could ever want. And what kind of a place did he come to? He came to a place that was, that was dark, that was full of sin. He came to a place that needed his light. And so I don't believe it was any small thing, any small decision for Christ to make to come to this world. In Genesis chapter 6, and I've, as, as I go through uh, this message this morning, I'm going to reference quite a number of scriptures. And so I'm, I, I actually, because of, for the sake of time, 
I have copied all of these scriptures from King James Version onto my notes, and so I won't be turning, and I probably won't give you, unless you're very fast in your Bibles, I probably won't give you enough time to turn to all them, of them as well. But I will say where, where I am reading from, and I'm sure that probably all of the scriptures that I will read this morning, you are all very familiar with. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was what? Evil continually. That's the kind of world, and, and I realize this passage back in Genesis was what God saw when, when in the fullness of his time that we've talked about this morning, this was just prior to the destruction of the earth by way of the flood. I realize that. He was not talking. But I am convinced without any doubt that as, G, as, as God looked down, as it's recorded here in Genesis chapter 6, as God looked down on the blackness of the hearts of men and saw that every imagination of their heart was evil continually, I'm convinced that God in his foreknowledge and everything, even as, as, he, as he commanded that the, that the flood destroy the earth at that time, he was also seeing the need of the sacrifice of his son sometime in the future, in the fullness of time. And so that is what, and when Christ did finally then come, as a babe, when he became flesh, I don't believe that the world was in much less need of a Savior when Jesus did come as what God saw as he looked down there and made that statement, or what the statement that is made in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And so that is what Jesus saw, and that is what Jesus traded in heaven with, with streets of transparent gold. Tried to imagine what that must be like. Transparent gold streets with no cracks and no potholes. Can you imagine that? And he came to an earth that was dark with sin. I believe it was no small decision. And yet, I don't really believe that it was a decision that Christ wrangled with as well. So, I, w I, have, I have six or seven things jotted down here. Answers to, or, or, or thoughts concerning why did Jesus come? So Jesus came to earth. The question is, why did he do it? I want to, uh, I want to invite you uh, to turn to John chapter 8. And, and you are familiar with this passage, but I, I want you not only to hear it, I want you to read it. <laughs> I want you to see it with your eyes again. Because I'm going to make a statement that you may or may not agree fully with. And I just, I just offer this as a, as a preface to the, the various points that we're going to cover. And that is, well, let, let's read this first. John chapter 8, verse 42. And in this account, 
I'm not completely sure who Jesus is talking to because if you back up in this passage, he's, you can see where uh, in verse of, of this chapter 8, in verse 30, it says, And as he spake these words, many believed on him. 31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. And, and after that, I don't really see... A, a shift in who Jesus is talking to. So on one hand, you would think, well, Jesus is talking to these, these brand new believers. And yet, in some of the, the dialogue that, that takes place here in the next few verses, we also see that he's talking to, to, he references those that are wanting to kill him. So in this group of people that Jesus was talking to, I don't know exactly who they were, but I believe there could have been those who were very moved by Jesus' teachings. But I also believe that it could have been a number of the Jews that were still very uh, mistrusting and unbelieving in Jesus as Messiah, because he references that, that, you, that they were trying to kill him. Verse 40, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath, hath told you the truth. And so... Some of the scribes, the Pharisees, I believe they could have been in the audience of this. And, but who Jesus was specifically talking to, I don't know exactly. But the verse that I want us to read, and, and it doesn't really, for the context that we're, we're looking at this morning, it doesn't really matter who Jesus was talking to. What I want us to, to get is the last half of this verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. And then he says, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but He sent me. And so I'm going to offer to you this morning that one of the reasons that Jesus left heaven and came to this earth is because His Father sent Him. And don't be, don't be discouraged by that and start saying, well then, did did Jesus really not want to come? I believe Jesus loved us. The, the personalities, you, you have to start to begin to, to, to look at the personalities of the Godhead. And, and, and it's a, to me, it's a very interesting thing. Can't say that I completely understand all of the personalities of the Godhead, but, but it's a very interesting thing. And the Bible talks about the oneness the oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and as we think about, though, the, the, the individual personalities of the Godhead, I don't believe that we can take from this passage here that we read, these are the words of Jesus that we just read here in John chapter 8, verse 42. He said, Neither came I of myself or by my own choosing, but he said, he, the Father, His Father, sent Him. So I want, to, I want to suggest that one reason that Jesus came to earth was because His Father sent Him. And once again, this could be a whole message on its own, and that would be of Christ's obedience to His Father's will. And we see that again in the personality of Jesus when He went to Gethsemane. After He was here, He went to Gethsemane. What was His prayer? 
about this cup of suffering that he was about to partake of. He said, if it's possible, let this pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but, but your will, thy will be done. And so we see here a, a lesson. It's a tremendous lesson on, on Jesus' obedience to the will of his Father. Now, I don't believe at all, for, for one second, I don't believe that it means that Jesus was, was disagreeable to the thought of coming to earth and being born, becoming incarnate. It doesn't mean that he, was, he did it regretfully, but he did. He was God. He is God. And he knew what lay ahead of him. And, and the, the, the warm and fuzzy scene at Bethlehem of a baby all wrapped up nice and clean laying in a manger probably was not first and foremost in, in, in the mind of Jesus as he considered becoming man and coming to this earth. I suppose it would be nearly unanimous. I think we've already talked about this a little bit as we commented on that, on, on the statement that was made at the very beginning. But I have five or six reasons here now why Jesus came to earth. And, and really, I really wonder if some of these things that I want to, that I want to mention, I really wonder if they are really reasons why Jesus came, or if they're more accurately manifestations that, that happened because Jesus came. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. But the first thing that I have is probably what every one of you, I suppose, would say if there was one reason why Jesus came to earth. It was that he came to die for the sins of the world and to offer salvation. I don't know if any of these other things that we want to mention really are reasons or if they're just things that happened because he came. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. When sin entered into the world, God instituted, and, and that was as soon as, very soon after man was created, sin entered into the world. We know that story. And God instituted the concept of the sacrifice of blood as a covering for sin. The blood of, of animals in the Old Testament was only temporary. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. And just as, it, as that was not possible, neither was it possible that the blood of sinful man could ever work. But the pure blood of the sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, was enough to satisfy our Father in heaven. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life, a ransom for many. Luke 19.10 also says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So, 
if there was if there was a number one reason and maybe in reality it can be boiled down to that's really the the only reason that Jesus came to earth it was to die for the sins of the world and offer hope to every every person the second thing that i have here is that Jesus came to fulfill the law of Moses. And again, I'm not so sure that that's why he came, but certainly in coming, he did indeed fulfill all of the law. Matthew 5, 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Thirdly, Jesus wanted to further reveal God to humanity. You know, in the Old Testament, the, or the Old Testament revelation is, is incomplete. And so Jesus' coming expanded on the revelation of, of who God is. And he did that by various things as he was here, both by his teaching and by the works or the miracles that he did. John 14, 9, Jesus said unto him, and he's talking to Philip here, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. He's revealing who God is. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? John 10, 37. If I do, if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. A revelation of who God is to humanity. So while God revealed himself to mankind in the Old Testament in various ways, that revelation was, was somewhat incomplete. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We're running out of time, so I'll just share a couple of these quickly. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. I think it's no secret, though, that as long as we live in this world, we have the devil to contend with. And, and I've heard it mentioned numerous times over the last couple of years, it seems like, I suppose, that is that the devil certainly must know that his time is short because it seems he's working overtime among believers and in our churches today. Number five, and I don't know why this is number five, because this, uh, this actually is one that, that I could spend a lot of time on. Uh, 
Jesus came to be an example for believers. As I look out um, on this group, I see people that I know that I could look to for a good example, as a good example. I know many people in the world, in our congregation at home, in, in various places that I've been, and I've experienced godly people. We can look in the scripture, and we, look, we can look at like the old saints, the Apostle Paul, and Peter, and John. We can go back in the Old Testament, and we can look at, at Abraham and Moses. People that demonstrate wonderful examples to us in various ways. And yet the example of every one of them, and maybe in some small way you may, you may view me as a good example. I'm not sure how, but you might. But here's the truth, that the example of Jesus trumps it all, trumps all of them. Jesus' example, when he was on earth, was always perfect. Jesus' example in Scripture, what he says and what he did while he was here, was perfect. And uh, we know that, that our lives are not always perfect. We make mistakes. We make, we make missteps. We fail. We sin sometimes. And certainly, it is, no, uh, it is no good example. It can be a, a, a destructive example to those around us, but it's certainly not a good example. But we will never find anything but a good example out of Jesus. And, and under a completely different set of circumstances in a message that I shared one time at home, I made this comment, I don't know how it will resonate with you, um, because I, don't, I can't take the time to explain what I meant by it. But I made, a com I made this comment one time that sometimes, as Christians, we spend too much time trying to play God when we ought to be playing Jesus. You just take that and think about that a little bit. And when I think about the example of Jesus, I think about... I think about his example of, of forgiveness. I think about his example of, of kindness. His example of reaching out and helping those in need, whether it be poor, whether it be in a physical way, or whether it be in a spiritual way, he was there. The last the last point that I have here, Jesus came to prepare humanity for a heavenly destiny. What a wonderful thing to think about. Jesus came to prepare humanity for a heavenly destiny. Philippians 3.21 says, who, who shall change, speaking of, of Christ, who shall change our vile body 
that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Jesus told us that one day we'll have a body like his. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. We sometimes sing that song, O to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. Another song that we sing is, I shall be like him. When I shall reach the more excellent glory, I shall be like him at last. Some of these things, as I say, I, I don't really know if it's quite accurate or the most accurate to say that these are the reasons why Jesus came. Because to me, Jesus came to save my soul. But some of these other things I hope can be considerations that because he came, some of these other marvelous things are available to us. It's Jesus, it's the celebration of Jesus' birthday. And I've asked the question a number of times. Why did God send Jesus to earth? Was it because he wanted to forgive me of the sins that I've committed? I think he wanted to do that. Was it because he didn't want to see my soul burn forever in, in eternal hell? I think it's true. But I even think there's a reason why God sent his son that's, that's even more beautiful than that. And that is the relationship that was broken by sin. God wanted that back. And so he sent his son. How is your relationship with Jesus? Jesus.